right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Steins? What's happening? I, I'm, who am I? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. My guest today is Gary Mule Deer. Now, Gary Mule Deer was one of the original comedy store guys. He was real tight with Letterman. He used to show up on Letterman here and there uh, as a guy that, you know, was clearly uh, older. Not I'm not saying he wasn't in his prime, but it was I had no point of reference for him because he's not a guy that everyone knows. But like many of the guys from the comedy store back when I was a kid and I was working the door there in my early 20s. You know, there was a picture of him. It was like the Gary Mule Deer experience or the Gary Mule Deer uh, medicine show or something. And he looked like this guy that uh, was a character. He had a, he had a huge afro. He had a guitar. There was stuff around. It was definitely sort of a late 60s, early 70s kind of uh, post-hippie trip going on. There was some intrigue that I, I had about this character with this name. But I didn't know his comedy hardly at all. I'd seen him on Letterman. But again, he was an older guy. And I didn't really know his sort of his his place in the whole arc of the comedy store. But I knew he was a guy and I knew he knew the guys. I mean, this goes back to the like to 73. And after I talked to him even before that. So it was kind of fascinating to me. Now, some of you are like, never heard of him. And you're wondering, is Mule Deer, is he a native comic? He's not. And I, it was funny because after I had interviewed him, it, it, you know, Brendan asked me, is he native? And I'm like, oh my God, he's not. He's like, where's the name from? And I'm like, I didn't even ask him that. And I felt like shoddy. I felt shoddy as an interviewer. Like, why would I not ask Mule Deer where the hell that name came from? Because his real name's Miller. I knew that because I watched his doc about him. There's a doc out. It's an independent documentary called show business is my life but i can't prove it and i watched that and, and and even in that it didn't say where the name came from all it said was, it was his name was miller and he was he started as a musician so i had to text gary and i said you know uh what's with the name where'd you how'd you come up with the name mule deer and he said quote when i was with bandana that was a band he was with i always drove the bus it had a spotlight I'd stopped the bus when I spotted Mule Deer. Our bass player, Sherman Hayes, started calling me Mule Deer. He later became Waylon Jennings' bass player. Anyway, the name Mule Deer stuck, and that's who I've been from then on. It fit, and it stuck. Everybody has kind of great things to say about him. I just talked to Tom Dries and said, Mule Deer always killed. And he lived quite a life uh, in terms of early television uh, you know, well, not early, early, but in the 70s and comedy in the 70s and some Steve Martin stuff. And he sort of kind of stayed out there working, doing stuff. And, and he was uh, a gambling addict and a cocaine addict. And uh, his whole life changed with golf. Uh, and uh, Johnny Mathis, Smokey Robinson changed his life. He's ended up really sort of taking, uh, kind of finding a place among the country music world where he uh, performs at the Grand Ole Opry. And he was just indicted, in, in, indicted into the Grand Ole Opry Hall of Fame. And I, I don't know. It was one of these things where, you know, you, I used to see people occasionally come into the comedy store, even now, uh, where one of the pictures on the wall 
comes to life in the form of a much older gentleman or woman who walks in and you're like, oh my God, that's the guy from the picture. What the fuck has that person been doing? And it's a reasonable question. And it, and I always assumed that it was, you know, it's, it's, it's not a good story, but you know, mule deer is kind of a great story. So he's here. And I was totally surprised to, uh, to talk to him. And there is a first, he does something that's never been done on this show before. So there's a little suspense for you. There's a little tease for you. All right, look, I will be at the Salt Lake City Wise Guys uh, next weekend or this weekend, I guess. No, next weekend, August 11th and 12th for four shows. I'm at Helium in St. Louis on September 14th through 16th for five shows. Then I'm at the Las Vegas Wise Guys on September 22nd and 23rd, also for four shows. And in October, I'm at Helium in Portland, Oregon on October 20th and 22nd. Two of those shows are already sold out. Uh, You can go to WTFPod.com for tickets. Yeah, and I'll be adding more dates shortly. Most of these are club dates. I think I'm going to be adding one uh, in Denver at the at the the, uh, Comedy Works South, and I and I'm going to be adding some for uh, Bloomington, Indiana. Someone texted uh, DM me that they had gotten tickets for the Denver show, so I might have to update the site. But there you go. There's your tip, Denver. Go go get those tickets. They might not have released a date yet, I, I, or they might not have uh, advertised yet. Sometimes it just syncs up, but it's sort of sitting there secretly waiting for someone to find it until I, I put it up there. So, well, when I, I last spoke to you on the, on the last show, I, I talked a bit about the Barbie movie. That was one thing. And then like in, in that monologue or that piece that I did here on the, on the podcast came out of sometimes on days that I record... Sundays, usually, I'll do an Instagram live before I record, like I used to do during the pandemic pretty frequently. And I'll kind of, you know, do the kind of hangout thing, live thing, talk thing. And sometimes it helps me sort of gel up ideas that I'm going through or having, uh, get people up to speed on the cats and on the life. And sometimes people hang out, watch me play guitar if we get that far. I'll play a little records, a couple records that I you know, that maybe people have never heard of. And then I'll talk freely about stuff. And sometimes that formulates things for the monologue. And during that, uh, that IG live, I talked about the Barbie movie and then it became what it became, uh, on last, on last show's monologue. But I got a guy that does my, uh, TikTok engagement for me and he pulled some of this stuff. Um, uh, from that, that became the Barbie monologue and put it up on TikTok. And that thing kind of took off. I'm very new to TikTok. I'm actually not new in the way that I have any real interest in getting too far into it, but uh, I do put things up there. I have a guy put them up there, but this thing seemed to really kind of get some traction because I guess it was divisive. Uh, But that was sort of interesting. And then I'm going to have him put up something a little milder. So that, like, I do have a presence on that thing. It's just not exactly me all in. So that's there for you if you'd like. So I'd been listening and compulsively watching a lot of Don Rickles, a lot of uh, uh, Dean Martin, uh, a lot of Johnny Carson appearances and enjoying the weird total awkwardness of what was a live TV show shooting at that time. 
that there are many, you know, now after, you know, having done panel shows for years and talk shows, there's a lot of production involved. You know, you, you talk with a segment producer, you try to hit, 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 but there was a casualness to what was going on then. And you can really see these guys sweat and, and, and be in the moment which you don't see a lot of now. Uh, a lot of it is just sort of set up punch, set up punch with occasional, you know, comebacks and 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 uh, so sometimes a life preserver thrown by the host. But nonetheless, I was watching a lot of Don Rickles and I was like sort of, you know, focusing on his comp- impulsive and improvisational method of, of unleashing what seemed to be thinly veiled, seething anger. And somehow I was like, yeah, yeah. See, it's good to feel that. And I was watching Rodney, who also had his own way of of sort of uh, unleashing and his thinly veiled, paralyzing sadness. And I was also listening to, to punk rock, uh, specifically the Dead Boys album, the first album, uh, Snotty Something Something, you know, uh, kind of on repeat. And then I moved into the New York dolls and I was like, yeah, man, this is all, it's good, man. I must need it. It's nourishing. I got to get into that zone, man. I got to get into that more of a a sort of, you know, fuck you, get back to the fuck you. And then Kip made a a point to me (laughs) that kind of like deflated it all in a good way. You know, I have been, because I thought like, this is like, you know, this is me kind of, you know, getting energized or me getting re-inspired to sort of uh, embrace that part of myself that is a bit more tempered these days, but used to be, you know, what drove me. And, you know, I've got a lot going on in my life. I've got, you know, an aunt who's not well, uh, is very sick. My father is, uh, you know, dealing with the uh, onset of, of some mental issues, uh, dementia or what have you. Uh, you know, my mom's getting older. Uh, I got a buddy of mine that, you know, just got a, some, some bad test results. Uh, you, you know, and it's it just, you know, I thought my, I, you know, I don't know what to do with all that, man. You know, I just, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not great at, you know, sort of managing the weight of, of, these very real life things. And then she pointed out all this stuff, you know, you're going through a lot of stuff with family and friends who are, you know, dealing with things and you're watching Don Rickles and listening to the dead boys. And you're thinking it's somehow uh, inspirational where really it's probably just helping you not deal with sadness. That's sort of what it was for, right? Fucking, you know, embrace the anger to avoid what's under that. And right now there's a lot of unknowables and there's a lot of like, you know, pain and there's a lot of, you know, possible tragedy going on in my personal life. And in, in, in here, I'm thinking like, yeah, this is good, man. This is what my creativity needs. It's like, no dude. And I thought I was being nostalgic. I do. I just want to watch the stuff that I liked when I was a kid. Maybe that's so, but you're kind of hung up on Rickles, the angry guy, the seething man, you're kind of hung up on Rodney, the sad guy that can't talk outside of jokes. And you're listening to punk rock, the dolls and the dead boys specifically. And all that stuff is kind of juicing that anger. And you're all jacked up on nicotine. Maybe you got to take a dip in. And then the other thing is I'm talking about a lot of childhood trauma on stage right now. Stuff that I'm just putting together uh, that sort of may define who I am. 
in some ways that I've never really explored before. But now I'm just listening to that punk rock, man. I'm just listening to it for inspiration. Get me juiced up. No, I'm listening to it because I'm not sitting with my own sadness and fear, which is certainly what all this stuff does, what all of it does, almost the entire United States economy. And certainly most of the right wing bullshit is driven by uh, uh, inability or a lack of desire to sit with sadness and fear. So in terms of left wing bullshit, sure, it's, it's there, but that's more we're, we're already sad. Uh, you know, it's coming from a sad place, uh, you know, and a frightened place. It's very active. But but nonetheless, that might be the ticket, man. So either I got to fucking, you know, explore it more on stage, feel the feels, you know, move through the stuff without getting angry, making sure I'm, I'm maintaining some balance, making sure I'm not taking out on people, acting out in any way, not fucking snapping on stage. You know, listening to punk rock is fine. Watching Don Rickles is fine. But understand that it may be just you wanting to mask this stuff coming up inside you. This fear, this sadness, this sense of grief. Man, it's weird when you make the wrong connections and then you realize, holy shit. Okay, here we go. Maybe a trip to the therapist might not be a bad idea. So look, folks, uh, Gary Mule Deer, uh, it was very uh, interesting to talk to him because I really had no sense of him other than he was one of the guys, one of the original guys at the comedy store. He was in a picture from the 70s on that wall. It is there. And now he comes out of the picture, uh, an older man uh, who's had a whole life, and I, I, I talked to him about it. And there's a documentary called Show Business is My Life, but I can't prove it. It's now available to buy or rent on the digital on-demand platform of your choice. And uh, this is me and uh, Gary Mule Deer, uh, a.k.a. Gary Miller, uh, you know, talking it through. I think you're the first guy that I'm going to talk to in terms of the history of the comedy store that was there uh, when Sammy opened. I was. Yeah. And I mean, I think the only guy I talked to uh, other uh, about that was uh, Bursky. Yeah. Because Bursky and his dad were parking cars, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's so, right. Well, okay. So let's go back. So you're in South da uh, North Dakota? South Dakota. South Dakota. Yeah. Spearfish? Spearfish. Fine. Yeah. yeah. And uh, But you want to be a rock star. I was born in Deadwood, raised in Spearfish. I wanted to be, yeah. I, I got, luckily, I had a, my dad gave me a movie theater in about 64. A he gave you a movie theater? Gave me a movie theater. Well, he had a movie theater? We had a movie theater. And, yeah. And uh, unfortunately, I lost it because my, my sister and I and my uh, 
the general manager in the middle of Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Yeah. We threw three live pigeons into the audience from the balcony. Did you, well, that, well, that, that seems clever. Today we'd be today we'd be sued. But that seems like the the birth of your sensibility. <laughs> that was sort of it. The main thing was I had I had the theater across it from that the street was Kelly's Hotel, and we had people coming through all the time, like Jerry Lee Lewis, the Everly Brothers. We had the Benchers. We at had Kelly's? the Fenderman. They would stay at Kelly's Motel. Yeah. And so I would watch for them to pull in with their Cadillacs and their trailers. Yeah. And I would go over and say, "I've held my projection. It's over. You want to see a movie? Give them free popcorn and all that stuff." Yeah. So the next night at the Pavilion when they were playing, I'd. Just casually walk up to the stage and ask if I could do a song with him. Yeah. And that's how I got to sing with all the you know, crickets, the ventures, all Come these on. guys. And you saw Buddy Howie and the crickets? I didn't see Buddy. Buddy was gone then, but the crickets oh. were playing all and the Jerry time. And Jerry Lee, though? Jerry Lee and the ventures. Yeah, the ventures. We never sang, but they let me do Mule Skinner Blues and they also let me do Summertime Blues because nobody else could sing Summer. I did the, the Fenderman's version of Mule Skinner Blues, which I learned in the 1959. Yeah. It was, in fact, I got it on a record. I, I'll bring it. I got a CD for yeah. it. I'll give it to you. I got it with the. De- Legendary Danny Gatton doing the uh, oh, sure. doing the uh, guitar on it, but yeah, and so that's what I would do, and that's how I got to meet these guys. Then later on, out in L.A., but you, did you play guitar then? No, just just not just barely. But yeah. I didn't with them. I would just get up and sing. And you did, and you come, and your family. Had, your dad just owned the the, the uh, movie house. He had that, and he had a food town supermarket. He also had bought a ranch. And, and, and this is all in around in and around spearfish. Spearfish, yes. So you grew up. That's like a very uh, unique yeah. Midwestern upbringing. It was, and uh, yeah, we all ended up. The family all ended up in Deadwood, South Dakota, because of the show business. What do you but, mean? But I'll, I'll tell you. This is amazing. My dad and his, my dad's brother, Paul, who graduated first out of high school, yeah. went over to Mesopotamia, which is now Iraq. Sure. And he went to work for Shell Oil. Yeah. And he drove a cat. Mm. And he's driving a caterpillar one day, and it starts to sink. And he jumps free, and they find out there's an old abandoned buried city there. Yeah. So they divert the pipeline around yeah. the thing. Yeah. He becomes kind of a spokesperson for Shell, makes a ton of money, comes back to Missouri, and he's got all this money. And yeah. he, my, his dad, of course, and and brother and sister, they're all starving on a farm. Yeah. And there's a show in town, and he sees this showgirl, and he just goes crazy about her. She'll have nothing to do with him. She yeah. leaves to go to Deadwood, South Dakota for the next show. He follows her out there. Yeah. While he's out there, she'll, she still had nothing to do with yeah. him. So he's, he uh, looks around, sees there's no fruits and vegetables around in the wintertime, fresh. Yeah. So he buys a couple of trucks, pulls the family out, and starts Twin City Fruit and Produce, driving back and forth to Denver. The woman still would have nothing to do with him. She finally <laughs> left, and they stayed. That's how we got to Deadwood, because of this woman in show. And, and so, and that's when he went into business with his brother. That's right. Went into uh-huh. business with his brothers. Right. And he, these seem like uh, you know not uh, uh, crazy or angry people. No. And I was I was uh, terrible. I was terrible. My dad gave me every chance to work on the ranch. He gave me a chance with the theater, which I lost. He gave me a chance at the supermarket. Any kind of thing. And I was terrible at business. I was a seven year freshman in college. I had one A in archery and and thirty three incompletes and a D minus in health. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah. <laughs> But you kept the archery going for the yes, bit. Yes, I did one bit. to shoot my arrow <laughs> off my guitar. But yeah. it's, it's very interesting because I was I was thinking about this today because I saw some uh, footage of uh, Charles Bukowski. Yeah, uh, talking about you know what what is expected out of people in uh, for life, right? Like in this country, that you know this idea that he said that you're only you're free until you're about four years old. 
Right. That's and then, right. And then, and then they put you into school, and that's the end of it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, which is kind of interesting because yeah. I was thinking about your life, and I was thinking about my life, and I don't know that I'm. I I uh, I, I show enough gratitude for the fact that I never had to to uh, appease you know, a boss or the status quo, or right. I never went that way yeah. because there are struggles to the lives we chose, Right, but it is our life. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So now you, you can sing a couple songs and you, what, you just decided to go to LA? I, there was, oh, there was, uh, tell me about the, uh, the hooker town. Okay. First, did, did my first night in show business. I finally got a job. I learned 10 Johnny Cash songs, two Buddy Holly and Mules Kinder Blues. So three chords. Yeah, three chords. I go to, exactly. <laughs> Everything in E or A. I go to Deadwood and I get a job at the Buffalo Bar working from nine to one in the morning. I'm 45 minutes off, 45 minutes on, 15 off. And you're a kid? What are yeah, you? Yeah, I'm, I'm, well, I'm not a kid. I'm actually about 22 years, 22, okay, yeah. 21, 22 years old. Yeah. In my fifth year as a freshman, somewhere mm. in that year, mm -hmm. era. And so in my first song, which is, uh, Folsom Prison Blues. Yeah, I hear that train to come and yeah. go. Then A, and then I went to B seventh. I missed the B seventh chord. Yeah. And all eight people in the audience yeah. that had been ignoring me up to that time, yeah. <laughs> talking and drinking, stopped and looked at me. Yeah. So I told the first joke I'd ever written. Just yeah. for the hell of it, I yeah. told my first joke I ever wrote was, three snails molest a tortoise." Yeah. Officer arrives to make out the report. He says, all right, why don't you tell me exactly what happened? Yeah. Tortoise said, well, everything happened so fast. <laughs> and that was the first <laughs> joke I ever wrote. People, they laughed, they laughed, then they went back to drinking. And, yeah. and pretty soon Maybe I realized, one. I better miss a chord again yeah. and do another joke. And yeah. I just started doing jokes. That's kind of how I got into comedy. Now, you want to hear the rest of the night? Yeah. Okay, so in between sets, I'm playing the pinball machines. Yeah. I'm only making $15 a night. Yeah. But into the night, I'd lost $12. And so- How'd you lose $12? I, I'd lost 12 out of my 15 bucks I was going to get. I only had $3 left. Oh, you mean you lost it by playing pinball? Yes, playing pinball machines. They paid off in those days it's, for it, people it, that knew how to play them. It seems like <laughs> a, you had a lifetime of, of relatively uh, uh, mundane but draining uh, gambling addiction. I gambled. My gambling addiction started when I was five. My uncle, that <laughs> uncle, I tell you, that rich uncle would drive yeah. me around- yeah. And we go out to do orders in, in little grocery stores. You yeah. take orders in Wyoming, Montana, wherever, and, yeah. and, uh, and uh, South Dakota, North Dakota. Yeah. And they used to have punch boards that sat on the, set, sat on the counters by the cash register. And for a nickel, you could punch out a thing and you might win a dollar. Yeah. And the big prize was $5. Yeah. I couldn't wait to get that nickel. Yeah. Five years old, so I could punch <laughs> it in, try to get some. Never got that, never got anything more than like 20 cents, whatever. But that's well, I, I, I think I've, I've heard that uh, that gambling addicts might be addicted to losing. Exactly. I well, I combined coke with gambling for twenty well, years. Well, then at least you were winning on some level. God, <laughs> you lose it, at the gambling, but you'd still feel like you were winning. Exactly. Right? It enabled me to stay up longer, lose more, and rationalize about it. Oh yeah, yeah, coke, man. man. But but so like in in when you're in these trucks and stuff and growing up, what was it? Was there a big native presence? Yeah, there was there was a native presence yeah. around, and we had I went to school with, with a lot of the Sioux and then. Oh, there's a story. I got to tell you, man, this, I got to tell you this story. So yeah. I'm nine years old and I'm in the Spearfish Saddle Club and I got a Shetland pony. You're, she, oh, yeah, you, you're riding horses. Yeah, we're riding horses. Yeah. And we ride in all the big parades, Days of 76, Black Hills Roundup, yeah. all, all the top cowboys come in for this. Yeah. We get to ride in the grand entry before that. All the saddle clubs from all the towns yeah. get to ride around, so we got our horses. So we ride in the parade. I got a little Shetland pony. She just had a colt. The colt stays in the trailer. She couldn't be loose. Yeah. And the... How, 
the pony wants to keep turning around on me all the time and going yeah. back. And I'm yanking on her and I'm yelling at her and I'm riding the parade. Yeah. Finally, in the front of the Franklin Hotel, she just lays down on me. Yeah. In the middle of all these people, I'm screaming, <laughs> yeah. I'm yelling, I'm embarrassed. Yeah. I'm really upset. And the thing, the, the, the rub of this whole thing is we get back to the saddle club and a guy named Ralph Hines, who was a truck driver for, for a logging company, he took my hand and says, come with me, Gary. Yeah. We went over to the Sioux camp. Yeah. And the Sioux came up every year and, and did their dance, the whole thing. Yeah. And I shook hands with nine of the last surviving members of the Little Bighorn. Wow. I've got their names. I've got a picture of, of the whole thing. Oh, really? I'm not that picture that day, but a picture of them. Yeah. And, and all of them written down. But I got to shake their hands. I was nine years old. Did you feel the weight of it? The weight of it, I felt, I didn't know then, I yeah. do now. Yeah, sure. I, in fact, I'm going into the South Dakota Hall of Fame on September 9th. Again? And, yes, I haven't been in the Hall of Fame yet. Oh, it's, you're in the Rock Hall of Rock Fame. Rock Hall of Fame and the Country Western Hall of Fame. I think my first, I'm going to open my, and say, Custer, one of Custer's scouts rides up to him, he says, I got good news and bad news. And Custer says, what's the bad news? And the scout says, well, he says, I'll tell you what. He says, over that hill are 2,500 Sioux and Cheyenne warriors, full war paint, repeating rifles led by a crazy horse. Yeah. And Custer says, well, what's the good news? And the scout says, we won't have to be going back through South Dakota again, <laughs> <laughs> which, which yeah. is one of my old <laughs> South Dakota. Is that, now, it seems like that a lot of the jokes seem like classics, but I mean, how many of them are, are, are classics and how many of them are yours? About, Jeff? I would say uh, probably about 60, 40, mm -hmm. but I've find a joke i hear a joke that i really like or i remember one from way back and i put my own my own spin sure. on sure and I mean, i'm really good at that nobody does this anymore like i do i don't i think that's probably you know? true yeah, yeah. Uh, but i i think it's funny because in watching some of the stand-up like there are you know kind of jokes that you kind of half remember but it's yeah. a, a rare thing i think with modern comedy uh that you know the old jokes are old jokes for a reason right. even if you know them you kind of like hearing them that's right. It's a it's an odd thing, but you don't feel like hearing my act again next year. No, my audience wants to hear me over and over again. I'm for some reason I'm blessed or cursed with this thing. I'm doing stuff I wrote sixty years ago. Well, yeah, and I know. Still working great. I know. Yeah, I, are you still doing the the commercial references? Yeah, sure. From yeah. sixty years ago. Oh yeah, I still got well, not some of the commercial references. No, I've kind of cut back on that. But stuff. it's an odd thing I'm noticing but, lately because I'm still I work at the store still three days a week. Oh, I still wow. go. I'm still over there in the in the in the haunted oh, castle. Great. But uh, but. Like what I've noticed lately is, you know, Dreesen's back, yeah, uh, doing the store, which okay. he, you know, he wasn't going to do uh, ever. You know, the, I remember the, that. Well, yeah. the story was, you know, Lebitkin said, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, I, I can't get work uh, because of the strike, and and Dreesen said, well, I'm not going to work here until they start working you again. Then he jumped off the he building. Jumped off the building. So he didn't yeah. work there for years. Years. But the point is, him and Argus are the only ones of the original kind of crew from the right. '70s. Right. And there's something I think that audiences of a certain age, uh -huh. uh, there, there's something about the way that you guys deliver jokes that is sort of nostalgic and comforting. Yes. That it's something they can settle into. It's something that's from their childhood almost. Yes. Right? Right. I did, I, I headlined comedy clubs for 30 years, never did stand up and nobody noticed. Right. Which is what I did. I mean, literally, I just did some of my own stuff. I'd throw stuff in back sure. and forth. But yeah, but I was in there with Sammy. I well, came that's in. the thing. So you come out here 
as a musician, right? Yeah. I mean, it would seem like a. Oh, but wait, what happens at the at the at the at the bordello? That okay, so is that, that where you first do the drugs? Yeah. So what I'm doing? So I'm doing my show, and when I get through it the night, I got three dollars left out of my fifteen. There's a lady sitting at the bar. She says, "What are you going to do now, Gary?" I said, "I don't know." She says, "Come with me." She was a madam of the of the pine room. Yeah. And so I go up there, and she puts me in a corner, and I do my little Johnny Cash songs, and yeah. I make mistakes, and I joke for all the Johns. I you know there's guys there's sheep herders there's miners there's yeah, cowboys yeah, yeah. there's guys from the air base all this stuff and about four o'clock i'm starting to fade because she had been up there since it's four a.m and she walks up and gives me a little black pill she gave this to the girls so they'd stay up all weekend and turn more tricks oh man so at noon the next day i'm still playing my guitar <laughs> <laughs> i would i would think that would make you better <laughs> she says gary you can stop now but here's the rub so the next day i'm still up yeah and i gotta go to work that night yeah. so about five o'clock i go up to her again and i say i'll come back and work again tonight. i can have another one of those pills yeah so i took one to get me through the <laughs> buffalo bar to go back up so the first night i got into music comedy gambling drugs and brothels in fact she said but you didn't get laid well but she said one of the girls really likes you yeah so i went down and sat and just talked on her bed <laughs> on the bed until she finally said you know i gotta get back to work well it's funny because you kind of go a mile a minute sober yeah but i was the same way when i did blow but for some reason when i did blow it almost had a riddling effect it was it made me relax right in some way but obviously not yeah no i could never sleep no me but never. but but it, it sort of stopped my brain from you know going nuts yes it focused but uh, all right, so so when you decide to go to LA, you know what? How do you how do you make that decision? Okay, I make a decision because I I I form a folk duo with a guy named Dennis Ryder at college. My this is my seventh year as a freshman. This, and, is, this is when the folk thing was big, big mid sixties. This is sixty four. Oh wow, sixty four. So we win a talent the count contest. We play a Kingston Trio song and a, and a Smothers Brothers routine, yeah, yeah. and we win the contest. First prize, you got to drive to Denver and work for free at the officers' club. They fed you and put you up for the night. <laughs> that was the, he the he came one. back. I stayed in Denver and started working lounges, everything I could find, until I had there was no place else for me to work. Just the folk scene? Yeah, the folk scene. Guy comes up to me and says, I'm going out to L.A. He's Bob Turner. I'm going to join the Greenwood County Singers. They have a hit called the new Frankie and Johnny song. Yeah. Van Dyke Parks is the leader of, of the group. Van Dyke and his brother Rick, and they're looking for a bass player. Can you play bass? I said, sure. I couldn't play bass. You didn't know how to play bass. No, and Van Dyke Parks said, is a genius. He's a genius. I'm going to see him in about <laughs> two weeks. We talk about this story every time I see him. Yeah. And so I get out there, and they go, we go into rehearsal, and they said, let's just do start with our hit okay yeah and they all take off and they just stand with the bass stand at bass freezing yeah and they stop and van dyke says what gary i said you know i really can't play bass but i'm pretty funny and he says we don't need funny <laughs> and bob turner the guy brought me out took me out on the sidewalk and says you stay here till we're through when I come back yeah. out, two hours later, he says, we're leaving tomorrow. We're going on the road. I'm taking you up to a place called Leadbetter's, started by Randy Sparks. Where was that? It was up Westwood Boulevard between Santa Monica and Wilshire. Okay. This is where the Christie Minstrels built this club. Yeah. Randy started the club. So I get there. I go inside. John Dutchendorf, he hasn't been to John Denver yet. He's the host. 
uh, Steve Martin is the is the magician has a magic act and a banjo. A legit magic act? Yeah, a magic act. Yeah, it didn't work. Nothing worked. That that was his. That, that was, was his oh, so thing. it was a gimmick. Yeah, it was his whole thing, and uh, he played a little banjo thing. Oh, so that um, he'd do the tricks and they'd all fail. Yeah, the carpenters were twelve and thirteen. They had to sit out with their mom in the in the in the alley between sets because they served beer. Huh. It was Kenny. It was Mike Settle in the first edition. Kenny Rogers was still only the bass player in the group. He hadn't even he hadn't become Kenny Rogers yet. And, and you're playing people, in, a, in a duo. So I'm 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 by myself. I've left my partner. I'm out there by myself, and I go in the next. I I stay on the cook's couch that one night. What what year is this? This is sixty five. No kidding. Yeah. So like you're what are you twenty two, twenty three? I'm twenty three, twenty three years and, old. And and Steve is like twenty two. Yeah, something like twenty one. He's a couple years younger. Than and he me, came yeah. out here to to do music as yeah, well, yeah, or to he, be an entertainer. He just came out of college. He was he was doing college somewhere out in California. It was a psychology, I think, or whatever it was he took. He'd, he'd pretty much graduated from college. But you that. didn't have a plan, and then you no come out plan. here, and so you end up beginning a music career. Beginning a music career. With I a, come out the next night after sleeping in the guy's, in the, in, in the cook's floor, and he said, I'll bring you to the club tonight, yeah. but after that, you're on your own. Well, I walk in, and the owner, of the, the manager of the club says, you old enough to check IDs? I said, yeah. I said, you're checking IDs tonight. Yeah. And Michael Martin Murphy is leaving the New Society. We're doing auditions. Sign people up. Sign Michael people Murphy up. had a solo career too. Yeah. yeah. So he left. And so I go up to do my little audition. And for some reason, I did the stupidest thing in the world. I said, I'm from <laughs> South Dakota. <laughs> yeah. I've been out checking IDs, doing this stuff. I saw a guy and a girl getting an argument in the alley. She stabbed him in the in the in the hand with the fingernail file, I'm. This guy was going after. Yeah. I said, I, "I'm from South Dakota. I'm freaked. I, I'm supposed to do this audition." And I pull out my hand, yeah. and I got it wrapped yeah. with a little bit of lipstick on it to look like my hand is free. And for some reason, Randy Sparks in the yeah. back of the room thought that was great and says, "You're in." Yeah. So suddenly, I'm in a group in RCA Victor Records. Isn't that crazy? What was the name of that band? Not the New Society. Wait, was Michael Murphy? Did he do Wildfire? Yes, he did. I just heard that song the other day and yeah. I recognized. I'm like, this is Wildfire. So I'm walking in a mall. Yes, in right. Albuquerque. Yeah, I, uh, that's he, had a, so... he had a partner. Them him and Owens Castle when they were called Boomer and Travis, dressed as mountain men. They left and went with Buck Owens. That's why they left the Randy Sparks to go. Buck there. Owens. Yeah. So that was years before his years his back, solo man. career. Yes. All right. So now you're in. You're in the band. What's it called again? The New Society. And that was a, a big band. Or hey, no. Well, they had a deal. We, we're going in to record with the with the Wrecking Crew. That's crazy. With and how we, uh, how uh, how Glenn Campbell. Go, all, all, all yeah. these people. Carol Kay. Carol Kay on bass. Was Jim Keltner on drums. Oh, was, Jim Keltner on drums. Oh, it was unbelievable. Over at Capitol? Yeah, no, RCA Victor. RCA. We're in Studio A and the Stones are in B. Come on, what are they yes, doing? Yes, they're doing a record and I'm thinking, where am I? I've only been in the group five days. It can, you can barely play. Yeah, I can't play or sing, so they just let me watch. And they gave me credit for stuff. And when we played after that, they had my microphones off on my guitar and my mic. Why were they? Why are you in the band? Until I learned the songs. Because oh. I was funny. Because I was the front man. I would tell jokes. That separated you from being in a in a lounge. I mean, separated you from being in a bar. If you had a front man, you played lounges. If you didn't, you, had, you played in bars. And that's how we started. I started working. And we got a job working the Miss Universe pageant in uh, in in Miami in Miami with at, this with this band. Yes, Fount Blue Hotel with with Jacqueline Cutter and Pat Boone. Fountain Blue, that's where my parents went on their honeymoon. Oh, well, that's big. We go in, and here's all the women from Miss Universe pageant. Yeah. Four guys in the group. It's like 
I can't. <laughs> yeah. I hate to say candy store because but, that's yeah. really that's sure. really not a yeah. nice thing to say right now. But it was literally like that. Sure. I gave Miss Israel my phone number. <laughs> she was runner up. So just for the heck of it. So three days later, I get a call in L.A. and she's there. Yeah. She's going to work for Israeli Bonds. They're putting her up at the it at, at, at a great hotel, yeah. Century Plaza Hotel, in a sure. suite. Sure. She says, "Gary, you want to move in with me?" Yeah. So I moved in with her. Only two days, yeah. and I had to go with the group to San Francisco. Yeah. To play a place called Bimbos. Sure, Bimbos down. Uh, yeah, I know. Bimbos. Yeah, you know Bimbos with yeah. the girl in the fishbowl. Yeah, yeah. So two days, and I'm rehearsing in the afternoon. And the bartender says, "Gary, you got a call." I said, "Yeah, it's it's her." She says, "Gary, your stuff's with the Bellman. I'm getting married." Wow, <laughs> you were the last stop. Yeah. So she said she's found a guy that she, with a lot of oh, money, and she yeah. bring her mother over. Well, I guess you're lucky in a way. You would have ended up in Israel. Yeah. So working on a kibbutz. Yes, this is '77, and what gotta, happened in the whole '60s? I got to tell you, I mean '67. I got to tell yeah. you this story. So ten years later. I'm going to drop a lot of names here. Go. I'm with Deborah Winger. We're in Vegas. and we're, She's a friend of mine. That's we're, funny. We're gambling. Yeah, Perfect. she's great, right? You, you know, she's wonderful. Yeah. I, mean, I haven't seen her forever. But you haven't we, talked to her? We're together for a time. Yeah. We, we were during that time. And we ran out of money gambling, so we went to see Freddie Prince opening for Andy Williams. He didn't have any Coke, but he had Quaaludes. Uh -huh. So we gambled on Quaaludes, a terrible thing to do. That's you a, know, that's you're, a you're slow do night. Dozing off at the machines. <laughs> so I called the Hager twins, Jim John from one of the Hager twins, from Hee Haw yeah. and to send me a $100 money order to the Stardust. So we're walking around waiting for the money order to yeah. come in. I swear to God, and I'm walking around, and I'm looking at all the pans underneath the machine see if anybody left a quarter. Yeah. Or, and I hear, Gary? Yeah. And I look over, and there's two ladies sitting there with pot bellies, and they've got gloves on because they're hardcore slot players because yeah. the money was dirty then. And they got cigarettes hanging out of their mouths yeah. with lipstick on it. And it's Miss Israel and her mother. Come on. No. And she says, Ma, Ma, there's Gary. That's the guy I told you about. Remember? Ma goes, yeah, yeah. And she kept playing. And that was about it. And he, he says, nice to see us. It's nice to see you. She never stopped playing. And about that time, Deborah waves me and said, the money's here. I walk over and she says, who is that? I said, Miss Israel, 1967. She <laughs> says, yeah, right. I said, boy, do I have a story for you. <laughs> and that's so, how that happened. Was right? Winger a waitress at the store? Yeah, she was. That's when I met her. I met her when she was a waitress at the Improv. At Improv. That's when I met her. And I was with her about, about, a, about a year and a half. So there you are. Yeah. You're down here. You're in that band. How long did it last in that band? The band, we couldn't play a record. Because the Rick and crew did, we couldn't play. Went on the road and it was a bust. Oh, it was just oh, because you were with the best musicians yeah, in the, the world. Yeah, the, yeah, we couldn't play our record. So it crapped out. Yeah, and we, then you get into another band. We just, we just, some guys left and we we formed a group called Bandana and started doing rock and roll. What happened? What was that that album with the Baroque rock music? That was the one. That was New Society. Oh, it was. That was the one. That seemed like a satire record. Uh, it was. was it a it comedy was, record? It, it was. A, it was a satire of ish. But it was. It was just. It was Baroque Baroque music and rock and roll. Did you know those? guys the stone ponies oh yes right there with, with linda ronson oh, they used so to good. play there at, at, the, at sure. the, where where at ledbetter yeah we played there. they played there a lot they yeah. were great right yeah who and, else was on the well, scene well let's see the well, John Denver, you said. John Denver was there, but also Mike Nesbeth had a band. Well, what was that band like before the Monkees? Was it country? Uh, it was country, and it was really good. Oh, yeah, man. He's so good. All those Mike Nesmith oh. solo records are great. He was good. Larry Murray had a group called Hearts and Flowers, him and another partner. Yeah. He became the head writer for the Johnny Cash show. Yeah. I mean, there are all these great people coming in and playing all the time. This is before the Troubadour? This is before. The, well, Troubadour was going at that time. Right. But it was, we were, we were sort of a commercial 
uh, folk thing. Yeah. We, we weren't the diehard. Uh, okay. You know, Pete yeah. Seeger wouldn't, uh, you know, we weren't like that. He wasn't gonna, uh, he, Pete Seeger wouldn't play Leadbetters? I don't think so. No, I probably not. So, okay, so then you you join a rock band. Yeah. And and can you play at that point? Pretty good. I'm pretty good, and I'm doing a lot of stuff from the Guess Who. And, and you're singing? And doing, I'm singing. And I'm, uh, What's and, uh, the name of that band? Bandana? Bandana. Okay. Yeah, so we're playing a club called Friday. There's Fridays and Saturdays in Denver. Fridays was folk rock. Yeah. Saturdays was, was rock and roll. So my band breaks up the same night that the group next door, the Moonrakers, break yeah. up. And yeah. the girl in our group, Karen Bryant, had been dating the lead singer of the Moonrakers. Yeah. She got us together. Dennis tells me after our shows, after we've, our groups have left us, he has to do a, a thing at Marvelous Marv's, which was downtown in Denver, later became Bevitt's Field. Yeah. He says, I have to do a benefit for this musician. I've never played by myself. The What's band, his name? Dennis, Dennis Flanagan. Yeah. So what, I don't know what to do. I said, we'll figure out something. So we went down there, and there was a bowling trophy behind the stage. Yeah. We put candles on it like a Liberace thing. Yeah. And when I, time came up, we had the guy named Bill Heaslip, who became a huge lighting guy after that. Yeah. He said, okay, we're going to go down. Dennis is going to start playing Moonlight Sonata. Yeah. And I'm going to tell Indian stories. And so we did this, and we got through with the whole thing. Indian stories? Yeah. I got three Indian stories I used to tell all the time. I don't know if they're politically correct now, but I used to tell them all okay. the time. They were great with Moonlight Sonata in the background. Okay. I should, probably shouldn't tell no, them. No, you don't need to. Now I won't tell them. Uh. So and we get through, and a guy walks up and says, I'm the manager of the Wii 5. Remember, uh, you were on my mind? Yeah. Yeah. He said, we're going to play Aspen in, in, in a week and a half. You guys want to open? We said, sure. We had no act. We go back to L.A., yeah. to get my stuff in a 63 VW. We're driving down Sunset. What we was see your comedy stuff? Store. We see my clothes, yeah. another guitar, this yeah. and that. We see Comedy Store. Yeah. We pull in. There's like seven cars in the back. Yeah. In the back. Is Bursky back there? Yeah, Bursky would probably was... He <laughs> was dad. He'd, he'd given up by that time because nobody was needed to be parked. It yeah. was over. Yeah. So we walk in. There's Sammy Shore. There's Rudy DeLuca. There's Barry Levinson. And there's... Uh, 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 oh, God... Uh, Craig T. Nelson. Thank you. God bless you. Well, you and, know, it's funny because like a yeah. lot of people don't, like all the guys I talked to going as far back, yeah. I would say, I'm trying to think who was the furthest back. Maybe Jimmy Walker, maybe, mm -hmm. or no, none of them. That was, at that point, those guys were new guys. Yeah. And then he was running the Vegas guys through there, right? That's Sammy right. was. That's right. So a lot of people don't know that Barry Levinson, the, the famous writer and film director, right. and Craig T. Nelson, yes. the actor, right. were were comics. And DeLuca later ended up with Mel Brooks writing everything. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, DeLuca was the guy who opened it with Sammy, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So so it's the four guys there, and it's not even the main room. It's just a small room, just right? Just a small room, and he's just, they're, they're out of material. There's eight people in the audience. You guys comedians, we said, you got a piano? Yeah. Took our bowling trophy, put it up on stage. Dennis lit it, played Moonlight Sonata. I told a couple of Indian stories. <laughs> we walk off. We're in the parking lot. Yeah. And three guys in the audience are uh, John Biner. Yeah. His manager, Harry Columbia. Yeah. And Michael Keaton. And they're all. And Michael Keaton was there at that time? Yeah, he, Boy, was, he, was, he, he was just, he was, he, well, he was, Harry Columbia was his mate. Manager also, but this is—he was a stand-up. He must have been twenty he years wasn't old. Wasn't playing then. He wasn't. I don't. How think old he, was that guy then? Twenty. And you know what? I could be wrong about that about yeah. Keaton, but, but Columbia and and for sure. And I always thought that the guy was Keaton. But you know what? It's not the things I forget now yeah. that bother me. It's things I remember that never actually happened. Sure, so I got to be careful. <laughs> but anyway, they said you recast your memories. Yeah. So Biner, so Biner says to me, "I'm replacing Carol Burnett for the summer at CBS. You guys want to be in? The, you guys want to be on the show?" 
We said, sure, but we have to go open for the Wii 5 in, in Bassman, and we'll be, we'll be back. With get, your one bowling trophy one bid? One joke. And we go, and we come back, and we're on CBS. This is like, this is how it happens. It's crazy. So how are you writing jokes now? Because, I, I mean, you yeah. know, I used to see your picture everywhere, and I always yeah. knew your name. Yeah. And I maybe had seen you a couple of times on Letterman, uh, you know, after right. your arc into, you know, whatever. Right. But, you know, like, this is all way before my time. But because I was a doorman at the store in the late 80s. Yes. So I lived with those pictures. And there weren't even guys around that had the stories because most of the guys around who were the old guys when I were there, you know, came in the late 70s. That's right. Right? So everyone who was there, certainly not many from Sammy's time, but yeah. from Mitzi's time were, you know, either stars or sad. Yeah. But they, a couple of them were around. Yeah. So you start doing, it was essentially a prop act, right? Yes. With, with Moondog, we did music and comedy. It was the we Moondog, Mule Deer Moondog Medicine, Medicine Show? Medicine Show, yes. And we were really great. We did incredible parodies on things. We did a lot of historical things. John Hancock talking to Ben Franklin on telephones where the number was one. And, yeah. You know, stuff. <laughs> yeah. Incredible things, uh, parodies on all kinds of commercials. He was a really good rock and roll piano player, and I did pretty decent country stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, we did that. And then we, we split up. We did all kinds of things. You fact, and Moondog? You yeah. and Flanagan? In fact, I remember going, we, we went to do a, a college in Denton, Texas, and we showed up and went up to the student council, and the yeah. guy says, great, you're here, but you're not here till next week. <laughs> so yeah. there's an all-you-can-eat catfish restaurant and motel yeah. down in town. Guys stay there. We stayed there for a week. Where was this? In, in Denton, Texas. Yeah. Went and called our manager. He said, oh, God, we're a week early. He says, thank God I got hold of you. Burns and Schreiber, Comedy Hour, called, and they want you on ABC this summer. You got to get back as soon as you do the show. So here we are you know depressed boom and next thing we're on abc you're with your uh, what yeah. Huh? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Huh? yeah yeah we're back to do yeah we're back doing burns and schreiber how is that oh, it was incredible and then david Funny frost guys. saw us and put us on Bad madhouse 90 which david was frost a, that yeah that yeah. was the week it was yeah parody we did one 90 minute show a month for abc it was wonderful so who were like you know at that time were you doing sets at the store or no or are you uh, just in and out occasionally in and out but we didn't know we were working so much we would hit hit and run at the store so you were at the store what in the like 1970 70 through yeah 75 till Dennis. did you work there you know when mitzi took it yeah just yes Oh, yeah, I was there when Mitch took over. Because that's when, you know, uh, Letterman came and, and everyone else came, uh -huh. right? That's right. But so you're out there working, but there's no comedy clubs. You're, no, you're no. opening We're for bands? music clubs and opening for, for rock and roll bands. Like it, in the late 60s, who are you opening for? Doobie Brothers. We're opening for... Uh, I talked to those guys. They're still at it. Yeah, they're still going. Yeah. Doobie Brothers. War. Uh, War. Earth, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah. Sly. Yeah. The Beach Boys. And it's tough work. Are you still on the speed? Yeah, yeah. And we're, we're not getting billing, and it's tough. And I'm, I mean, the last job we did with the Dewey Brothers, suddenly there's 40,000 people at Ohio State University. We walk out on stage to open with no billing. A wine bottle bounces off of the piano. Yeah, yeah. A beer bottle just whizzes by me. Yeah, and I said, yeah. We're the Mule Deer and Moondog Medicine Show. Good night. Yeah. And just walked <laughs> off. Well, it's like that story that Albert Brooks tells yeah. about opening for Richie Havens. Oh, yeah. And he's waiting to go on and say, Richie, Richie, Richie. And the, and the guy, uh, the stagehand goes, are, are you Richie? He's like, no. no. He's like, they're going to hate you. They're going to hate you. That's right. <laughs> Did that with Dolly Parton when she got the most money of anybody ever at Vegas in 1980. She was getting 350000 yeah. All it said was Dolly on the yeah. marquee. So the same thing, the lights go down. It's Dolly, Dolly, yeah. Dolly. Yeah, yeah. And I'm walking out, and people are looking at me. Maybe 100 people recognize me. Dolly, by the time I get to the I wait for him to settle down, it takes about 
two or three minutes for him to to quiet so, so I can talk. So during this time, and you're doing these ABC shows, I mean, like yeah. you know, who were who were some of the other comics working with you on those? I don't. I didn't remember. I remember stars coming on, like Peter Marshall from Hollywood sure. Squares. I remember the guy that used to say, "My name is da da da." Yeah, my name is Jose Menes. They call me. Yeah, the other guy yeah. too. My name is, but you can call me da. Oh, you can call me Ray. Yeah, you Ray. Can you can call me Jay. Ray. That guy was on a lot. Yeah, and. Uh, uh, Father Guido, Guido Sarducci, Sarducci was sure. on, but it was mainly just stars would come on. Like we get Ray Stevens was yeah, that, that we, guy. Ray, we, well, Ray wasn't on, but no. he was. But we had all these guys that were heads that you know that were that were in westerns or whatever had come on. Sure, but, everybody was in rotation then. Yeah, Hollywood was a big com, uh, like a smaller community. But when did you live with Steve Martin? Steve Martin, Steve and I lived together in '66. Oh, so that was early on. Early on. So you're together, and uh, and he's. He doesn't. He's still doing the magic act. Yeah, no. He's 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 got his magic act got stolen. We were out shopping one day. It's been stolen by many company. people at this time. Everything was stolen out of his trunk. Oh, you mean and really he, stolen? Yes. <laughs> so I, he. So I've he, seen he, people do the act. So that's before. when he went to the suit and the sneakers and just a banjo and no more props. But but do you think that you were his inspiration for actually using props? Because he did he use tells props. Me, he tells me I was. Well, what's that story about him getting a job at the Smothers Brothers? He did. He got a job there. How did he get that he job? He couldn't write because he was funny. Uh -huh. He was funny. His act was funny. So they saw him. They saw yeah. musical act. And he had a few things in his act, a few yeah. props, yeah. arrow the heads, certain things. But, yeah. the main but you, you both used the arrow differently. Yes. You shot yours I with shot your guitar. Mine. And... His one is hit. <laughs> yeah. And I just, with, with Steve... He just decided to to go the other way, and he he made a great move. He made a great move. He, he got hired as a writer. Got hired as a writer. But when they asked him to do something, he couldn't, couldn't do it. Right. So he calls me. Yeah. Wants a couple of things out of my show. I yeah. Said, sure. Yeah. He takes them. They work great. It breaks his writer's block. From then on, he writes like a demon. So he is, and he's yeah. forever indebted and friend, a forever friend of yours. Forever to me, which is incredible. <laughs> he forgets all the money he loaned me all the times. He pulled me out of trouble, made house payments for me. And, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. And he just, was, uh, oh, he was your Lord. patron. He was. Yeah. I, I, I don't He must have written it off to... I don't know what he wrote it off to, but yeah, yeah. he saved me. Oh, yeah, that's Literally. good. Well, I mean, when you Letterman. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? That because, like, you know, every generation of stand-ups has a guy that everyone loves and, and, and just kind of, like, spirals off into whatever fucking hell that they're going to be well, in. I did, yeah. And fortunately, like, yeah, Robin used to take care of a couple guys, too. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah. He stole their jokes first, but he used to take exactly. care of Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Here you go. Yeah, the, yeah Robin was, was a sponge, unfortunately. There were only... Three people that I've, I've encountered in my life that were so fast and so quick. Yeah. And, and it was always original, different. Roger Ooh. Miller was number one. Roger Miller was the quickest, fastest guy. I've King ever, of the road. Oh, yeah. Jeez, yeah. unbelievable yeah. stuff. Yeah. I mean, he was just, ne you never stopped. Great entertainer. Him. Yeah, Will Schreiner yeah. is like that. Will's yeah. incredible like that. Yeah. And, that, and strangely enough, a lady who's the lighting tech with Johnny Mathis now, I've been with the show for yeah. 30 years, who, who's Stacey Westbrook. She's She could have been the greatest stand-up stand lady comedian ever. She's just Unbelievable the way. They, so, so when when you first meet Letterman, yeah. you were you were like, who was at the store when these young guys started coming? Everybody was pretty much around at that time. Except I think Leno was more at the Improv and he was at the store. But yeah. we're all back there. Argus and there's Jimmy Walker. Yeah. There's, all of us are back there. And I, I that's when all the comics would hang in the back when a new guy went on. And when I saw David up there do his his editorial. Yeah. 
that, that about, he said, WSXM would like to take this time to say we are diametric, diametrically opposed to using orphans as yardage markers at driving ranges. Yeah. And that, I went, whoa. Yeah. And I just went up and waited for him to get off. Yeah. And after that, I just, he just, he had me. There was only about four people I ever saw that I saw that I knew the first time they were up, and then I saw them that I knew were going to do it. Yeah. He was one. Yeah. Strangely enough, Yakov Smirnov, I yeah. knew he was going to do incredible. Oh, yeah, well. he was there, yeah. Ellen DeGeneres, her yeah. first show. Yeah. I knew she was going to do something. Yeah. I saw her the first time, and I just thought, wow. Yeah. She And Steve Martin. Yeah. Every All those people, the ones I saw that I knew were going to go. Now, Whoosh. when you were there, was was Jimmy Walker, did he have his management company yet? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the management, he was, and... Letterman and yeah. Letterman, I think, were writing for him, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, right. And it was at Helen, was she managing? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. yeah, and she went on to manage Leno all the way through, right? Yes, she did. Now, were you writing with Letterman? I was writing, trying to write with Letterman. He had, in fact, she wanted me to go out and write with him. Who, Helen? Uh, uh, Letterman Mitzi. wanted me to go to the oh. New York show, the day show and write. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was just too, I, I knew that I was just too too stoned all the time. Nobody knew I was stoned all the time. Were you on Coke yet? Oh, God, oh my, I've been on Coke since 67. I've been on Coke When all did this that time. Start, first start to come around? Where'd you uh, first do Coke? Bimbos. Oh, really? In San Francisco? San Francisco. Oh, yeah. yeah. Guy in the group, guy in the group, I went and got some Coke. I'd never yeah. had any before, and whoa. Yeah. This is not only that I don't have to eat, I can lose some weight, I can be slim, and I don't yeah. have to go to sleep. And I just never wanted to go to bed. <laughs> That's all it was. But isn't it interesting, though, like, you, you know, because I've known guys, and certainly, you know, my path was not, you know, one that was calculated, or, yeah. or I, I had no real forethought. Yeah. Uh, I knew I didn't want to write for other people. Yeah. You know, and I knew I, you know, I didn't really want to, uh, you know, be on the other side of television. But right. at that time, you don't really think that, like, well, there's only about 10 guys right. that make a, a good living doing stand-up. You, right. You're like, I'm going to do it. Yeah. But it's seems that do you ever look back at like saying no to letterman on that show that that you well obviously you're, you're sober now so yeah. you, you have to you you got to frame your regrets as, as yeah. not regrets yeah. but do you have regrets no yeah. i have some regrets i have some regrets uh i wish i'd have got i wish i'd have got caught sooner i wish i mean i wish i'd had to go into rehab sooner yeah. not did it as long as i did yeah there are certain regrets i have yeah but it's uh but it's still it's turned out to be incredible with me ending up on the ground. Look at this week, this year for me. Yeah. I've got a film coming out. The first doc, of August, yeah. The documentary coming out. Yeah. I've just became the 230th member of the Grand Ole Opry. Yeah. I'm going to be on the South Dakota Hall of Fame September 9th. But here's the rub. I haven't told this to anybody. This yeah. is the first time yeah. anybody knows about this yeah. outside of close people to me. I have stage four prostate cancer. Right now? I'm fighting it like crazy. Oh, man. I have to take two pills in about another 15 minutes. Yeah. I do chemo and chemo pill and a prednisone every day. Yeah. I'm just keeping it just keeping it down. Yeah. Well, that was one of those things where you, you might not have treated it quickly enough, I, right? I've, I've had it for 20 years. They said I'd outlive it. Yeah. But they didn't realize that I was going to live this long. Yeah. I guess. They I never thought of getting rid of the prostate? I couldn't. By the time, I was too old. By the time they decided I could, I should get rid of it, it was, yeah. it was too late. Yeah. So this is the first time ever on the air I'm going to take a abiraterone and a prednisone with my host. Okay. Which I have to do oh, right I, now. I, yeah, I've had a lot of things happen. I've had a, a guy come out as gay on the air. I've had a woman breastfeed. Okay. This is the first time anyone's taken cancer medication. And I'll tell you something. Yeah. This, this stuff takes out all my testosterone. Oh. And I also got the shot in my stomach last week before I came in. Now, well, well, what's the prognosis? Prognosis is we have to just control it until we can find something else. Right now, yeah. they can just control it. Yeah. But... 
I've, they said, this is going to take all your testosterone out, and we're warning you now. So yeah. the week after my first shot, I'm on a plane on Delta Airlines, yeah. and I'm flying, and I'm, I find myself tearing up at the end of Toy Story 4, <laughs> and I think, God, this stuff really works. <laughs> so I don't dare watch anything with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan in it. And Fine. This is serious. Finally, I Finally, you have feelings. I want, I like Jane Austen. I, I look I look in South Dakota Public Broadcasting for hopefully a Jane Austen series is going to go up. Serious. Yeah. I mean, it's that's where I am right now. Well, yeah. Well, you know, it's it. What's interesting about you is, you know, you started out, you know, out here in that scene in the late '60s. You kind of yeah. did. I mean, you really did that old Hollywood thing, yeah. or that the sort of fast track kind of yeah. like. You know, I mean, you must have met everybody, like you know, Crosby, Neil Young. Yeah. I always Zappa. hung with. I always hung with funny musicians. Yeah, I never hung with comics that much. I yeah. hung with with the funny. That's why I hung with Steve Martin. That's why. I but did you ever him. find yourself at the Manson Ranch or anything? Uh, no, never Good. got that far. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. Because he was around, like, you know, he with the Beach around. Boys. And, like, yeah. like, and it felt like it was, like, uh, oh, like Ed Begley Jr. Did you mm -hmm. hang out with him at all? I remember Ed very well, yes. From the comedy store? I did, from the comedy store, And yes. there, it just seemed like everybody was sort of around. There was old and new Hollywood, and everyone was sort of around. Leonard Barr was living next door. and, and all the, Dean Martin's uncle played yeah. Dean Martin's He was living next door. Yeah. I remember one of the most bizarre things in the world, I get on the elevator, at yeah. the, what is it, the Hampton? What is it next door? What's that? Now, uh, what it, it, whatever. The Rock and Roll Hyatt? Yeah, the Hyatt. Yeah. So the Rock and Roll Hyatt. So I get on the elevator, yeah. and I'm on with Cat Stevens. Yeah. And Wide World is playing in the Muzak. <laughs> and I look over at him, and he goes, he rolls his eyes. <laughs> yeah. It's just one of those moments that those I'll, never, moments. I'll never forget. But I think yeah. the arrival into, where, like, the, the arc that took you into the, the world of country music mm -hmm. embracing you is interesting. Yeah. Because, you know, you're, you're hopped up on Blow yeah. from the late 60s. Yeah. You turn Letterman down. You've had shots at your own show on Network. Oh, did I ever? Yes. A few, right? Dinosaur Summer's show I did, and I was the only guy that was offered a, offered a pilot. And I, they gave me two English writers, so I yeah. British humor. And I just slowly, gracefully got out of it. Yeah. Because I wanted to work. What I want to do is work Vegas for $7,500 a week, alternate with, with topless reviews, yeah. and play Keno. Yeah. That, to me, that was a big deal. That's all I wanted to do. Keno, and, drugs, Keno and, uh, drugs, and... Keno, and, drugs, and girls and backstage. Girls. And that was it. And yeah. to me, I thought, this is it. But, but you you believed that and lived it for years. Years now, and but the Tonight Show, it's interesting the conversation in the doc, yeah. you know about you know like Carrot Top is still you know when he has that moment, it's like yeah they just never even though they put us on the Tonight Show they'd always tell us it wasn't the Tonight That's Show. That's what they told me. I had one that he clapped all the way through uh, the first commercial one. But you didn't do it with Johnny. And no, no, I was doing it with Roy with, Clark and David Brenner. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I told I told Freddie DeCorvo after the show. I said, "Did you see that, Freddie?" He says, "Yeah, but it's not the Tonight Show." <laughs> I ran into Freddie ten years later at the Crosby Golf Tournament. Yeah, I said, "Remember that night when you told me it wasn't the Tonight Show?" He says, "Yeah, I was right, wasn't I?" <laughs> he still was that way. Isn't that weird? Yeah. That's Did you meet ever meet Carson? Uh now this is this is what is interesting. I never got to do it with Carson get called over to the couch. Right. But I worked the Sahara in the lounge all the time. Yeah. And he would work the weekends at the Sahara yeah. with Jack Aglash and the orchestra. Yeah. So I'd go up and hang out at his dressing room. He would come and watch me through a special place when I was in the lounge. Yeah. And I got to know him. And even after the show, he'd sit in the keno area and talk. Yeah. yeah. And what's great is like people in those days respect. Yeah. Here's one of the biggest stars in the world. They go, Hey Johnny, love your show. Yeah. And nobody's coming up saying, Can I take a selfie? Can I Yeah, right. You? Sure. And John had this way 
about him when we'd start walking to his to his to his room. Yeah. We'd walk all the way through the casino. People would say, oh, and he just say, never keep kept moving. Nice yeah. to everybody. It never stopped. Right. And I saw him do that all the way up to the elevator and get in and go. Yeah. And that's how it. Uh, that's, that's the way he was. was. That's the way well, he was. Well, that's the interesting thing with the the difference in levels of show business is like you got to sell your CDs. Yeah. <laughs> And the main act is, you yeah. know, back at the hotel. Mm-hmm. But it, it was not something you had a chip on your shoulder about. No, never did. Oh, I never did. I yeah. love what I was doing. I just, I loved, I loved So you're playing Keno, you're doing Blow, yeah. and you're opening in Vegas. And now was Sammy out in Vegas with you? Sammy was, was, was had been opening for Elvis. Mm. He, but I think later on there was somebody else that came in after Sammy. Can't remember who it was, but yeah. somebody else was doing it. But Sammy lived there for years. Oh, he did for years. Yeah. He, you know, Mitzi, a quick thing about Mitzi. Mitzi, when I got to the point of where I was living with Skip Stevenson in a house in the You live with Skip? Yeah. All we did was was drugs. Yeah. We never went back to the comedy store. I stopped going to the comedy <laughs> store for a year and a half because I didn't want people to see what, what I was turning into. Yeah. So what we year was this? The, we would go to the country clubs in the valley and work, and nobody noticed. I mean, was, here's Skip Stevens from The Tonight Show. Here's Gary Mulder. We would get up and play with the cowboys and with the, with the yeah. Western bands, and that's all we did. And, and then Skip just, got real people? Oh, yeah. And we stayed, and we didn't go to the comedy store. Well, after I got clean in 87, mm-hmm. I hadn't been to the comedy store for a year and a half. I went to Mitzi, and I was at the very bottom. And in '87, I was a door guy in '87. Okay, well, yeah. that's when I was just coming, yeah. starting back in at the yeah. end of '87, starting yeah. back to store again. I had nothing. I was in debt, thirty, forty thousand dollars to credit card companies, everything. And Mitzi said, "I came, I came back. I said, Mitzi, can I work at the store?" She said, "Yeah." I'll put you on in weekends. Yeah. And she helped me get a brand new Bronco. She helped me stay in a hotel. I didn't have any business staying. It was expensive, but I wanted to treat myself. I wanted to come out and not go to an old place or yeah. have an old car. Yeah. And I remember I went out to a guy in Burb- in Glendale here yeah. that was a car dealer. And I went out because I wanted to get a Bronco and I had a, a 1998. Yeah. Mercedes. Yeah. With only working on four cylinders. Yeah. Two cylinders are blown out. Yeah. And I said, I want to... Uh, I want, trade it? I, I, yeah, I want to trade it. Yeah. And he says, how's your credit record? And he starts pulling on it. It's going and going. He's like, Jesus, I can't give you anything. <laughs> and I, I can't give you anything. He says, I said, I want that Bronco over there. He says, that's the one with everything on it. That's the most expensive. And he, I said, call Mitzi. He called Mitzi. And yeah. she said, he's going to be working the comedy store weekends. Yeah. He'll have money. Yeah. I got the Bronco. I got to stay at the ho- that nice hotel. And when I and when I, when I I uh, was out on the job, yeah. I'd have the bellman keep my car and my stuff underneath. I'd come back and move that. That, that hotel it's called the La Park and it was way over my head yeah. but I wanted to treat myself nice yeah. and it all came back and I had a good friend Valerie Pappas who was a great she's a comedian yes comedian yeah, singer good. comedian yeah. and of course the main thing was out of all of this thing man I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta tell you this in 1980 I got hired to come back to South Dakota to, to work for this couple, Lee and John and Lee Irvin, this big festival in the yeah. park. Got to play in that pavilion where I used to work with Jerry Lee Lewis. And all we used to people. watch him. Yes, got to play it. When I got through, I walked over to get my check, and John Irvin was standing there, and I started to get the check, and I look, and there's this beautiful woman standing beside him. And I said, who are you? He pulls a check back. He says, that's my daughter. I said, oh. 
and we've been together ever since. That's yeah. Anita. And she went through the hard times, the bad times. We had to split up for two years because my coke at the end. What year was it? 85 and 86. Where I was so out 87, that was where you really sobered That's up. That's where I had to go in. So I think I, yeah. I, I must have just left. You had just left. The comedy store. Was it late 87 it, you went it back? Was, it was back. Well, I went back. Yeah, I went back about September, October. Yeah, because yeah. I was like, I lost my mind on coke. I left. That's it. Yeah, I was well, there like a little less than a year. You took and I was, my place. Yeah. Thank you. I was hearing voices, <laughs> and I and I had to go to rehab and then go back to Boston yeah. to start over. So I must have just missed your you return. Just missed me because when I was there, when I was just starting as a door guy, that was when fucking Argus got out of rehab. That's right. That's and I was I remember I was there I was there all the time because I was living in Crest Hill. Yes, you know, up on the on the hill yeah. there, Mitzi's uh, place, and I was hanging around, and I remember I was standing outside with Belzer. And Argus comes walking up and Belzer goes, oh my, is this an apparition? Yeah. And he he had just gotten out of rehab and I had yeah. no idea of the history or anything. Right. But he stayed sober since then. He has stayed sober. I remember Alan Bursky and uh, Alan Bursky's Bers- friend, I can't remember his name now, he was my dealer. Yeah. I had a 55 Jaguar. What, at, at, that, at that apartment building? Yeah, I had a gorgeous 55 Jaguar yeah. that I just, I just left. So I came back and my Coke dealer said, I'm going to sell it for you. She said, I got $10,000 for you. He says, here's eight. I'm going to borrow two. I'll give you the rest Monday. Never saw him again. <laughs> and I paid it. Leno still lets me forget that I had that 1955 XK140 convertible. <laughs> he never lets me forget that. It's I look at that car now, and it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> to this day, he never lets you no, forget. No, but it's just those, one of those things, you know. Just sure. Did that, that stupid stuff. So in 87, you get you, you get clean. Get this clean. after years twice. Of, of, yeah, well, it takes what it takes. Yeah. But, but so, and, and but how does... How do you become, you know, sort of become part of the country music community? I first of all, I had to get myself back in with 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 started doing comedy clubs. Yeah, and uh, I'd go to Zanies in 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 Chicago. You no, know, Zanies in Nashville. Oh, the Nashville Zanies. Nashville. Yeah, and I started noticing all of my friends that I'd known from the past are mm. all around, all the country guys and whatever. Yeah, and I just oh, that's right. You knew all the musicians yes. from Vegas and from yeah, the, yeah. And I started, and that's when the Nashville Network started. Okay, and I thought, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to give this a try. Yeah, and it really worked well for me. Yeah, I'm working with. I'm on doing the Ralph Emery show 50, 60 times. He's like the Johnny Carson of country music. Yeah, I mean, I was doing that. Then I became the regular on the last year and a half of Hee Haw. I mean, was that a rebooted Hee Haw? Yeah, it was just with, it was off without Buck died. It was just Roy. Okay. Reboot. I did yeah. the reboot. Yeah. God, you remember things. I'm so glad you you bring that up because yeah. it, it was the reboot. Yeah. yeah. And there's all this stuff in between. I go back and I look at things. Being a judge on the Gong Show and working with Barris was one of the greatest things. How in much the coke world. was on that set? Oh my God! I'll tell you. One night it happened. <laughs> I'm with. I'm with. I'm with. Pat McCormick, head yeah. writer of Tonight Show, yeah. we're judges. Yeah. We get through, we're back in the dressing room. Pat had to shake so bad at that time, I would have to brace his hand with the Coke spoon, yeah, yeah. move his head down slowly to it. So we get through, and we get through, and we get all cleaned up, and, and we go out to the, his orange Rolls Royce to the green interior, yeah. and we head for NBC. Yeah. And he didn't tell me what we're going to do. We pull into the lot, and he goes, hey, Pat, yeah, yeah. we get in, and we, we walk in, I see Johnny down there talking to the guys, the curtain's about to open, yeah. and Pat goes over to stage left, he starts undressing. Yeah. And he's handing me his pants and his coat and his underwear and his shoes and his socks. And you go, what? 
<laughs> and we get through it. Johnny goes out and starts his monologue. Yeah. And about um, two minutes into it, Pat streaks. Yeah. And this, this is, is when streaking was a thing. Yes. Yes. Big yeah. deal. Big yeah. 350 yeah. pound leprechaun. Yeah. God. <laughs> and so I, he told me, uh, by the way, he told me to go around to the other side with his clothes and wait for him. Yeah. Well, he came around and just before he got there, he slipped and fell yeah. and hurt his ankle. So we got this giant naked guy, yeah. 350 pounds, trying to get a coat wrapped around him, get him out to his car. And <laughs> yeah. it was a great moment and so that night uh, watching the show they just put a black but they let it go they let it happen. all you see is Pat's head bobbing and Johnny looking kind of amused <laughs> and realizing what happened so I thought well I was part of that I was sure. over there at stage left and I was stage right and know? Johnny partied too oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I never partied with him yeah. see, see Martin was in a co poker game with him I think that went forever for years ever. yeah for years those guys had a poker game yeah yeah yeah. Hey, yeah. But I got to know Johnny pretty well and never got to do the show in fact Johnny I talked about it he said Johnny said it's better we don't bring it up because two there's two producers that really don't like you and Freddie's not going to put you on with your yeah. props. And he said, I said, don't worry about it. It's yeah. fine. And we just, we were fine that with that. So now, okay, so you're sober in the late 80s. You're yeah. doing Hee Haw. Yeah. You're jumping up in the cornfield or whatever. Right, yeah. Doing yeah. all this stuff, yeah. But you're, you, you know, you you kind of stayed in the Nashville community? I did. But I'm also working comedy clubs. And I'm making as much as you could make as a headliner then. I was making about $3,500 to $4,000 a week, which yeah. was a pretty good for not being a star. Some of the stars would take the door. Sure. I wasn't at that level. But I was doing okay. But you had to work. I had work. But yeah. I could see... And you're not opening for people in no, Vegas? No yeah, more. I'm doing that too. I'm opening for Merle Haggard. I'm working with Roger Miller. I'm working with all these different people. Well, I'm, that seems like the Roger Miller uh, friendship was very important yeah. to you. Roger was very important because of that guitar over there sitting over there that I've got. Uh, that Gibson Hummingbird? That Gibson, this is my Gibson J200. Yeah. And I, you got, I'll try to make this as quickly as I can. That's okay. I'm doing so much coke, I'm getting 3500 a week, and I'm playing Japanese copies of Gibson J200s made in Mexico. Sure. It's like playing barbed wire in a fence post. Yeah. But I thought I was poor because all my money was going into coke. So this guy comes and says, a guy played with Engelbert over at the Hilton, and he has this beautiful J200. He wants $300 for it. I'm going to bring it over and let you play it. I played it for two days. It was just gorgeous. The best. He said... You want it. I said, Fats, yeah, I've been yeah. losing more money than I've ever lost in my life. <laughs> I have no money left. I'm working Disneyland on weekends just to try to break even to come back. You make it just in time to go on in front of Roger. I don't have the money. He says, I got to, okay, I've got I've to come and get the guitar. Yeah. So here's what's happening. I'm up all night. I'm looking around. I have no money. I'm looking through my dressing room trying to find any kind of change. I got to get money just to get a cab to go to the airport. Yeah. Because I got to go to Disneyland. Fly into, How are you functioning? You're up two, three days at a time. I, that's and, what I did. I just made myself stay up. I just functioned. Yeah. That's what I did. But so I don't know what to do. So I'm going to go up to my room and see if maybe I got some change in something. And I'm walking toward the elevators. The elevator doors are opening and closing like yeah. this back and forth. <laughs> I walk in and sitting in the corner, yeah. drunk, is Roger, one of Roger's guitar players, yeah. Thomas Carlisle. I, he's trying to reach the button to go to his room and he, he can't, can't reach far up. enough. Yeah. So the elevator's going up and down yeah. and he's probably on 10. He can only reach to five. So I stand him up. I said, Thumbs, being the compassionate person I am, Thumbs, yeah. you got any money on you? And he points to his shirt pocket. I yeah. take out a bunch of crumpled bills, 
push his button, and I yeah. walk out. I get seven dollars. Yeah. So I'm walking back to my to my dressing room, and I got to get my guitar to go to Disneyland. And being the addict I am, I look up at the key. I decided to go pay a six way six <laughs> for two dollars. Yeah. That gives me three dollars. It gives me four dollars to get to the airport. Yeah. Three dollars, and they tip the cab guy a dollar. Yeah, yeah. When I get there, I'm opening for the Kings and Trio. Bob Shane will loan me ten bucks. Yeah. So I'm going up to get my yeah. Japanese copy of Gibson J200 made in Mexico and this beautiful guitar. I put in the six way six. I come walking back down. I look up at the board. I've hit 38, 39, 40, 48, 49, 50. I've hit a six out of six for a thousand dollars. Yeah. Just at that time, Fats Johnson was walking into the casino. How much you make on that? A thousand dollars. A thousand. I was playing fifty cents a week. Yeah, yeah. So I walk up. I give the key. I get my thousand dollars. I give the keynote shift fifty dollars. I get Fats Johnson three hundred dollars for the guitar. Put take my Japanese coffee with Gibson J two hundred piece of crab back out to my dressing room. Come down. And I go to Disneyland. That's how I got that guitar. That's, That's great. What were you doing at Disneyland? I was opening for the Kingston Trio at, at one o'clock in the afternoon. I'd open for them, and then I would get back, and they would take me back to Anaheim. I would fly back, get just forty-five minutes before the show with Roger, and I would get I would get dressed and go open for Roger Miller. What'd you learn from Roger? Uh, Roger, Roger, the only show I ever missed. I'd been up too many days, yeah. and I went to my room to change before I went to the show. Yeah. They say, I know security's banging on the door. Yeah. I look over, and it's 8.20. I should have been on 20 minutes ago. Yeah. I come running out. I take the elevator down, run through the casino, up through up to the backstage, yeah. to the dressing rooms. Yeah. Nobody there. I run over the edge of the stage. Roger comes off. It's 8.30, hands me my coat, my hat, and my guitar, and says, you were great, kid. And he went back out as Roger. He went out and did me. Did they know it was him, though? Yeah, he saw him did my act for 25 minutes and saved me. I mean, literally, that's the only show I ever missed. He saved me doing that. Did yeah. you ever deal with the mob? Uh, yeah. I had a guy named... <laughs> so I was working. I was getting a lot of jobs in the lounge. I couldn't figure out why, because every time I'd get my check, I would go up to a certain room and give a guy named Rudy four $100 bills. Yeah. And he'd always say, yeah, you're going to be okay, kid. Yeah. Then it kind of... After a while, I, I, I he, he wasn't so sure I could I could get for I yeah. could get the money anymore. Yeah. Well, here's what happened. Yeah, I'm I'm up one day and I'm one morning I'm walking to the elevators. I've been up all night. It's about eight in the morning. Elevators open and there's Rudy's wife in an embrace with her tennis instructor. Yeah, and they jump back and they see me. Yeah, and I look at her and she looks at me. And after that, I started getting a lot more work in. So I know she must have said to Rudy. Never. That guy's great. You got you got you got to hire him you more. You had a secret, man. And I know that's how I kept working the lounge uh, doing that. That's, that's a good a lot lounge. of money. Though. Yeah, that's a good lounge story. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a great yeah. lounge. You story. kept the secret. Yes, I kept the secret. You were going to fuck it up working and kept giving Rudy his four hundred bu- four hundred bucks. Yeah. All right, so you wanted to talk about the bottom, oh, the hitting the, hitting the wall. Oh, hit the wall, man. I hit the wall really bad. Went into went into uh, what year is this? Eighty six. Uh, Eighty six. Yeah. End of eighty six. Yeah. And uh, I'd gone. I'd what had happened? I'd br- split up with Nita. I had a house in Studio City. Sold the and house. And you had this son, right, from a past I marriage. I had a son of the past. He was still in Rapid City. Yeah. Sean, my son Sean. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting because uh, you know in the doc it kind of talks about how you chose show business over him. I left him when he was ten months old. I mean, it just took off. How did that? Ha- how did that sit with you? It just he, for luckily your whole life. he forgave me, and he he he, even, he, he forgave, forgave you after you became drug buddies. Yes, for- exactly. We became drug buddies <laughs> after that. Yeah, yeah, we're doing coke together. Up, oh, and, up, no. and, up and, I I literally sold the house, split up with Nita, and went to. Tahoe to end my life, and I tried to do it, and spent like eighty thousand dollars in a year. Well, you tried and, to do it out just by yeah. But Came what? back and, and but but you didn't actively hang yourself. You just no, tried to burn yourself. Just down. tried to burn myself out completely. Mm-hmm. It just got to be 
pretty soon I couldn't do clubs anymore. I couldn't do anything. Why? Because you were irreliable or I was, you just I sad? I was unreliable. I knew I'd be unreliable. Not funny? Couldn't do it. I didn't think I was going to be funny. I would still go out every so often and do a, an act opening for a country act. Yeah. And I would get by with that. It was 25 minutes. Yeah. And fly back. I was okay. But I said I'd, I was just putting all this money away. So I'd go into re, I'd go into rehab. And uh, first of all, I, 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 I'm with Skip. Stevenson. Yeah. I said, Skip, I got to go to the hospital. He said, he, he said, yeah. He said, I know. I said, he said, you're going into rehab next week, right? I said, no, I got to go right now, Skip. Take me there. My heart's bad. I don't know what I'm doing. He takes me there. The doctor slows my heart down and says, if you do this again, you're going to die. I go back to Skip's, to Skip's place. And about that time, Bill Kirkenbauer yeah. was going on the road. I was going to house sit for him. So, uh, so he said, I want you to house sit for me in a month. But he said, you better go into rehab. So I went up to, went upstairs in the in the, in uh, St. Joseph's Hospital yeah. behind NBC. Yeah. I stayed there for 35 days. I went right to the heroin guys because I knew they had all the chocolate. After? And that's why I went right there. Stayed oh, with oh, them. Right. Yeah. yeah. Gained 40 pounds. Yeah. Came out and and, uh, and house set. And I'm, I'm with uh, Bill Kirkenbauer's house. And I think, you know what? I can do a little bit again. Because I'm writing oh, and nothing's working. I try it one more time. And so I, there's a guy who used to roam the valley with a beeper. And if he wasn't there in 30 minutes, it was like Domino's. It was free. It was <laughs> never late. Yeah. I get a half a gram of Coke. Yeah. I take, put out two lines. Yeah. I take one up one side and boom, my heart hits. I fall to the floor. I crawl over to the, pull the phone off. I yell, call for 911. I crawl over to the, the door, out to the curb, wait for the ambulance and fire truck to come. They took me back. The same guy was on duty and said to me, I heard him say, if we can slow his heart down, I think, he's, I think he can make it. And we slowed him, he got me down, he got through, he said, now, do you believe me? You're going to die. If you don't go upstairs to the rehab unit, you're going to die. So this is literally less than a week in between. Less than a week. Yeah. yeah less than a week. And he said, you're gonna, so you're going to go back to rehab? I says, no, but I got it this time. I'm not going to do it anymore. And I didn't. I stopped. I stopped doing it. And that was, that was March of 80s. Did you do the thing? Yeah. Did yeah. you do the meetings and stuff? I did a lot of meetings. Yeah. A lot yeah. of meetings yeah. all the time. Yeah, I got, I'm coming up on uh, 24, I think. 24. Wow, 24. I think I'm 30. I think I was 36 in May. <laughs> That's great, like that. man. It is and great. So, and so, and now, like, I, I like the whole part where, you, you know, Vince Gill is in the in, in the dock, oh, and he's yeah, a sweet yeah. guy. Oh, great guy. One of the best guitar players ever. He's the, the goat, ever. man. He's, he's the goat of country music. Man. Yeah, he's, just he's like the history of he's country. He's in the Eagles now. Oh, is he playing with the Eagles? Yeah, he's with the Eagles now. <laughs> Isn't that their, something? On their fail, farewell trip, we'll be sure. over 2025. Well, he's he's going to be, uh, and Joe's still with him? Yeah. Joe Walsh? Walsh, he was, he was and I was with him in a show with Marty Stewart, Late Night Jam, back in April. Holy Joe shit. Came. What a great guy he is. He's a great guy. Oh, he's incredible. And Marty Stewart, what a musician that oh, guy Oh, Marty's is. the best. Marty invited me, and Vince inducted me. That's how it And happened. I saw those pictures with the, a cuff, and a, like, or, or uh, who was that? Some of the old timers from the Opry? Yeah. Uh, you, yeah uh, is it Roy, Roy Cuff? Was he well, alive? He, no. It was, Roy got me in way way back but but i got guys like john conley got Jeannie seeley connie smith yeah all these people bobby osborne died two weeks ago he was one of the greatest and so did uh, uh mcreynolds died i mean yeah. jesse mcreynolds the two of the oldest active guys are gone now uh bill anderson's the oldest active working guy now 
And, uh, and but you, were you always a country music guy? Always, hmm. always was. And Johnny That's, Cash was your dude. Yeah, Cash was my guy. I my life was four four letter words, man. Although I don't use them. Yeah. I mean, I'm Gary Mule Deer, three four letter words. I'm I'm married to Nita, which is a four letter word. I did coke. I did go, I golf saved my life. That's golf. Another we didn't talk about golf. I took up golf. Yeah. I mean, sing, play, pick, what show, whatever. Everything was four letter words. For me. Yeah. But. Yeah, golf turned me around. When I came out of rehab, I needed a new addiction. And I yeah. needed to walk off that weight I'd put on. Sure. So there's a comedian, Ronnie Kenny, that I knew. I know Ronnie. He kind of taught me He was me great. Golf. He was a comedy store he was a guy. Great, yeah, a great comedy store guy. But, great guy. But he was a club thrower. Yeah. When I, mean, I started playing golf with him, I said, <laughs> I can't do it. That's one thing I'm not going to do. Yeah. And I started walking Balboa and Encino in the morning, and I would take a break and have lunch. I would walk in the afternoon. Then I would do the comedy store at night. And that's how I started taking the weight off and started getting myself back into shape. You got and good one, at golf? You good? No, I was. I was pretty good at one time, but I'm 47 when I started. I mean, I'm yeah. 47 years old. One day I'm out on Balboa, and Smokey Robinson comes over from the other fairway and says to me, Mule Deer, you ever done a celebrity golf tournament? I said, I have no idea what they are. He said, I'm going to take you to one next week. Roy Clark's. So we went over to Roy Clark's celebrity golf tournament. He knows tournament. you. Yeah. And there's five, six entertainers. We all did 10 minutes the night before for, for all the people in the tournament. Sure. And I, one fed into the other one. And suddenly, I'm working with my heroes. I'm working. I'm suddenly in the LPGA in, uh, in the, the, the ladies LPGA, yeah. the Dinah Shore yeah. in, in, in Palm Springs. Yeah. And I got the guy, Terry Wilcox, calling me on my first day for my practice round. He said, you're going out with Joe DiMaggio, uh, 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 John Havlicek, and Johnny Unitas. Is that all right? <laughs> worst worst tee shot I ever had in my life. Yeah. But I mean, that's how I started meeting, because I've been a Yankee fan 72 years. Yeah. I mean, to play with suddenly with Yogi Bear and I'm playing with Whitey Ford and uh, I'm playing with Hank Bauer wow. and all this stuff's coming in and I'm playing with all my heroes from from TV. Dale Robertson from Tales of Wells Fargo and, yeah. and all these it just became, the whole community that yeah, is celebrity golf. Yeah, Pat Boone. I'm working with Pat Boone and Alice Cooper. And Alice Cooper. Yeah, I've done 23 of Alice Cooper's 27 tournaments. Yeah, you know, just we we built a teen center yeah. because of that. Oh yeah. I mean, it's all because I'm all these rock and roll things that I do or country shows like people I do. But meeting all my heroes and playing golf with them, it's been absolutely incredible. Smokey, I just talked to Smokey. He's, Did he's, you really? Yeah, my great. wife's favorite. She's my. He's my. He's got a new record out. Tell your wife to get the new record. God, it's called uh, Gasms. Gasms? Yeah. I'll, I'll try to remember. <laughs> Gasms. Oh, God. But your wife stuck through you all through all she this. She did. She We split up for, for two years, but she, she stayed Because she my, couldn't take it. Stayed with my manager. She couldn't take it. I, I couldn't be around anybody. Yeah. And she uh, started co-managing with my manager, David Martin, yeah. out of... Out of uh, out here in, in Encino, but David stuck with me. God bless him. How he did, I, I'd never know. But yeah, we split up until we could. Until we could actually, I was safe. Finally, in nineteen ninety, I think about in nineteen ninety one. Yeah, I was working with Crystal Gale on New Year's Eve. Yeah, she came up and we decided, okay, we can trust Gary now. Yeah, but it took that. Yeah, it, it took that. And long. now you were. And then the the last big uh, business. Uh, Relationship was with uh, Johnny Mathis. Johnny Mathis, which I'm playing a golf tournament, playing the Crosby in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. The night before, I'm working with Pat Boone, Bob Hope, Gerald Ford, uh, Catherine Crosby, Vince Gill. We're all doing 10 minutes apiece. Yeah. Next morning, we went to the driving range. Johnny Mathis is next to me, turns me and says, Gary, the lady has been with me 21 years, Janine Bernier, who yeah. was Jimmy Dean yeah. for years, is, is retiring. Would you like the job? Yeah. I said, yes. He said, you'll go on in the middle. 
Yeah. And he went back to hitting balls. For 29 years, he comes out, does 35. I come out and do 25. He comes back, does an hour and 15. I've been doing that for almost 29 years. It's Incredible so, show. It's Incredible. It, what's amazing to me is like, you know, I'm a guy, you know, who, you know, was immersed in the mythology of the comedy store. I still work there. Yeah. You know, I, I, I love the place, uh, even though I got, it, it's almost, there's a, a relationship with it. Like, it's almost where the trauma happened. Because yeah. I was, you know, when I was a doorman, lost my mind. Right. But I, I love the place. The only place I work in town. I'm afraid to go there. I'm afraid nobody will look well, at me like, who in the hell are well, you? Well, that might be true. But if I'm there, I'll certainly introduce you to Thank everybody. You. <laughs> and, you know, Peter Shore runs the place. Oh, Peter. Oh, my God. Yeah. I know Peter, you know Peter forever. When they were, were they were kids. Well, that whole family like had the, there was a big sort baby, of fu- we babysat all of them. Yeah, it was there was a fight between the brothers, but Peter yes. has, has got the keys to the place. But he lives in Portland. But he's really turned it around, and it's got great. Yeah, if you, is Scott around? Scott's in San Diego. And what about and Paulie has a house right above the comedy store. Okay, and the sister died. She died. Ah. Yeah, didn't know that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but but they're around. You Sandy. Know. Okay. Yeah, Sandy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But uh, but yeah, man. You know, uh, you could come say hi. Where do you live? I live in the Spearfish, South Dakota. Oh, so you don't come out? You <laughs> I don't come out. You live much. on the ranch. I. We What's just left had to, of it? We just had to sell the ranch. My we after seventy years of my life, my sister was running it. We had to let it go. It was the last place wasn't developed. I can't even. It's hard for me to even look at it now. They're just developing the whole thing. Oh, really? Yeah. That's it, hard. It was cool like, from the time I was 10 until, you know, we went out there. I was 10 years old. I lived, yeah. on, lived on a horse. Yeah. I mean, I lived on a horse, and I, uh, you know, I hunted and fished. And sure. I even was a guide. I, I would... An illegal guide without a license I, for, for, for hunters and fishermen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did all that stuff, anything I could do to... Stay you know, engaged. Yeah, to stay engaged. And yeah. Not have to work too hard. And, yeah. But I was still, but I was always playing pinball machines. I was always gambling doing this. I always had it to do <laughs> did something. Did you give that up? Just to keep even. I still like to play four card Kino machines <laughs> after after I do a Johnny Mathis show at a casino. But you know what? It's under control now. It's not like it was. I still like to play four card Kino and I will forever. I mean, my wife hates even think about it she went through hell with me with the gambling but I still like to play four card kino machines it's so funny Quarter, it's, it's kino because it's such a solitary it's thing it's the worst you don't game play, in the world but you don't you're not even sitting next to people uh, the, you know, Gary <laughs> Shandling had the greatest greatest impression of the game of kino yeah this is this is Gary Shandling yeah God bless you Gary this is a game of kino the 19 24 37 Here's another one you don't have. Eleven. <laughs> that was always my. Favorite. He was great. Oh God, yeah. Yeah. I remember one time he was working at Caesars. I was working at the Sahara. Yeah. I called him in his dressing room from my dressing room. Yeah. I said, "Gary, you gonna go on with your hair like that?" He says, "What? What's wrong with my hair?" <laughs> he said, "Oh, you bastard!" <laughs> Hung up on me. But I mean, it literally, I got him. I mean, you I got him. him just for that. You knew him well couple enough. of seconds. Hit, I got him. Hit oh. that insecurity button. Oh yeah, it was amazing with him. Oh. And you're and you're still in touch with with Steve and Dave. Yeah, and... I still am in touch with them and 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 Jay and everyone. Yeah. They've all given me great. reviews and things and and press things about all this stuff and it's just been incredible and uh, yeah yeah sometime today before i leave i want to i want to tell you about this guitar over here and that thing must be worth thirty thousand dollars it's got to be now because because the names i don't really have time to read all the names that are on this but yeah it's all signed up it's all like willie's in fact it's signed up so much in the back the last two guys steve earl and keith urban had to sign it 
on the top part. I had the back sprayed now, so it, nothing can come off. Yeah. It started with Cheryl Crow at the Letterman show. Yeah. I had her sign it first. Then I went to do the uh, AT&T at Pebble Beach, yeah. and Glenn Fry and Huey Lewis came up after I did yeah. a cash song and said, God, it was great. I had them sign it. That's how it started. Yeah. Then it took off from there. And it's, I think it's 55 signatures. It sounds like it's going to end up in that uh, country music it's museum. It's going to go down Hall there. Hall of Fame. I'm going to take it down there to where they can put it in my thing that, that turns, you know, the little thing that yeah. they can look at the back of it. For a while. I'm not going to give it to them, but I'm going to loan it to them. They, want, they have to see this. It's got everybody on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love the doc, and it was great to get to know you. Because what I was saying before is that, you know, when you're my age or you're coming up, I'm, I'm 59 now. Yeah. But I was still immersed in all the guys that I grew up watching. And, you know, when I worked at the store, I was looking at those pictures. And you always wonder what happened to people. Yeah. Like, I knew you were still friends with Letterman. I knew that you were, you know, I saw that picture that, you know, Gary Mule Deer Medicine Show. I yeah. knew, Like, I had an image of you in my mind, and I made assumptions about you. But you were one of those guys sort of like, what happened to that guy? Yeah. But you never stopped working. Never. And, and you were always out there making a living. And, and a good one. Well, great people come with me all the time and say, Gary Mulder, you were always my favorite comedian. I forgot all about you. And I love that. I think yeah. That's fine. And you're like, you're lucky because I'm doing the same act. I'll refresh I'm your memory. I'm doing a lot of it, a lo <laughs> probably a lot of it, and it's working better than ever. I can't stop doing it. I'm, I'm either blessed or cursed with having this material that just always seems to just, yeah. it just keeps working. Yeah. And I and I bring together families. Yeah. That's why I like doing the Opry. Yeah. The kids are laughing with their parents, parents laughing with their kids. Normally, they each laugh at something differently. Sure. You don't like it. And you know, I'm a G-rated guy. I just am. I just, that's, that's why I miss out on a lot of TV and great movies. I can't do language. I mean, I- Well, I, you're I, in a few movies, but you didn't make the, you're in, you had that part in Annie Hall. And yeah, yeah. Cheech and Chong, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Up in Smoke. Up in and, Smoke and, uh, and The Jerk. And The yeah. Jerk. And yeah. you got cut out of two, but, and then you, you're just in the, the source scene. Yeah. At the source with Woody Allen when he comes yeah. to LA. You're and you right. know why they told me later on? Because my line was funnier than his at, before him. I bet you. I was talking to the girl saying, it, the concert was incredible. He blew up a grand piano and electrocuted a dog. Are you going to finish those sprouts? Yeah. That's what I said. <laughs> and evidently, it went to just me being cut out and asking he asking Woody when he wanted to eat from the waitress. He said, he said I'll yeah. have the sprouts. Yeah. And that's what happened to me. Oh. I took all my friends to the movie to see it. To uh, me, and uh, I can see them doing the long shot. I see my words being mouthed. I thought, oh, yeah. God, another one. When a guy used to open for me uh, is a big comedy star now, and I think he's one of the funniest guys around. You ever watch uh, Nate Bargatze? Oh, oh, God, he's incredible. Isn't he funny? Oh, God, yeah. 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 Well, man, it was great talking to you, and I oh. wish you the best and, and good luck with the ongoing uh, treatment. This was, Hope you're around for you. a, a, another uh, many years. Yeah, I'm going to keep at it, man. Thanks, Gary. You too, man. I loved it. Okay, there you go. That's a first. Cancer meds. That's a first. I hope he does okay with that stuff. Uh, uh, once again, uh, show business is my life, but I can't prove it. The documentary is now available to buy or rent. Also, uh, hang out for a minute, folks. Okay, so this week we posted the 10th installment of Ask Mark Anything for Full Merit subscribers. I answered a bunch of your questions, like this one, about repeat guests. What made you decide to start doing repeat guests for a full show, and how do you decide who gets to come back to the garage? Well, it became apparent that after doing this since however long we've been doing it, which is a long time, what is it, 19, well, it's like a long time, since 2009? 
So there are people that we interviewed early on that have had entire lives since we talked to them. And it'd be silly not to be open to sort of kind of complete the arc uh, or at least this portion of their life. So that's one of the reasons. Another reason is there are people that I like talking to. So a combination of those things is what decides whether they come back to the garage, whether I like them and we had a rapport uh, and mixed uh, with how long it's been since they've been here. But uh, but sometimes people just like to hear me talk to people I know and usually comics. So we figured, why not do more of that? Especially now with the strike. I mean, that makes a big difference. A lot of the people that I get are out uh, promoting things and they're on junkets and we kind of wedge them in. But that shit is over. That's okay. You can only have so many actors. To get the Ask Mark Anything episodes and all the weekly bonus episodes, sign up for the full Marin. Just click on the link in the episode description or go to WTFPod.com and click on WTF+. Plus. This is only take two on this guitar piece. It's okay.
Boomer lives, monkey in La Fonda, cat angels everywhere. <laughs> 